Glad you're here this evening. You know, Joe was a man who was dying, and he had been at odds with his best friend, Bill, for many, many years. And so on his deathbed, he wanted to make things right with his friend. And so he called Bill and asked him to come to the hospital, and Bill walked into the room, and, and Joe told him that he didn't want to go to his grave with bitterness on his heart. And so he asked his friend, Bill, to forgive him, and Bill did. And as Bill was leaving the room, Joe shouted out, If I survive this, this doesn't count. (laughs) And as we talked about this morning, forgiveness is a difficult thing. Forgiveness typically isn't our knee-jerk reaction. Our knee-jerk reaction is typically revenge making the person suffer a little bit. We want to see them get on their hands and knees and beg before we eventually forgive them, once we feel like they've suffered enough. There are a lot of people in our world that are sitting on bumblebees, you know what? And they're sitting on a bumblebee and it's stinging them over and over again, but they assume they're doing as much harm to that bumblebee as it's doing to them, and so they're not getting up. And it's not just people in the world. It's even people within the church. It's not just pagans, it's even people who wear the title and who claim to be Christians, who can be some of the most unforgiving people on the planet. read the story not long ago about an elderly woman who passed away, and her children went to her house to sift through her stuff and sort it out, and they found something very interesting. They found a scrapbook, and the only thing in the scrapbook were the obituaries of people this woman despised. Newspaper clippings of all the obituaries from several different papers of the people that she hated, the people she considered her enemies. She apparently got great pleasure out of the fact that all of her foes died before her, but what she didn't realize is that they were still winning. Even after their death, they were still beating her because she couldn't let go of the bitterness and the malice and the anger. Because that's what those things are. They're a cancer that eat away at a person from the inside, and the only cure is to forgive. But why? Why forgive? Well, because the Bible tells me to, right? But if you're doing something only because the Bible tells you to, you're missing out on a whole lot. Because remember, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. But let's go to Colossians chapter 3. And in Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 1, here's what Paul writes. Colossians 3, starting in verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of the Creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. There are 
some phrases here that you need to take note of. If you have your Bible and a pen, you might want to underline them or, or circle them. If then you have been raised with Christ, set your minds on things that are above. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, and have put on the new self. Paul is transitioning here. Paul has been talking about false philosophies and false ideas, and after explaining why Christians were not to engage in these types of things and buy into these types of false ideas and, and, and philosophies, Paul gives some positives and he's talking about some things that Christians should and should not do. And chapter 3 is just really a continuation of thought. Paul is moving from the warning to the reason. And the reason why they should not buy into these worldly thoughts and ideologies is quite simply because they don't belong to the world anymore. They used to, but they don't any longer. He says that they had shared in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And he says, if then you have been raised with Christ, which they had, then you approach life differently. And Paul speaks about the transformation that should come with the experience of being raised with Jesus. You look at verse 12, and it begins, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. And then he mentions many qualities that we should clothe ourselves with. Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, and forgiving each other. You must forgive. Why? Because you're different. You're not what you used to be. Paul says it right here. When it comes to obeying the gospel, you don't do it one time before baptism. When it comes to obeying the gospel, it's something you do over and over again. And if then you have been raised with Christ, you respond differently. You don't talk like the world. You don't act like the world. You don't think like the world. You think differently. You are different. And because you are different, you don't hold a grudge. You don't harbor bitterness. No, rather, you forgive. Isn't it interesting that, that unforgiveness is what you have to learn? I mean, think about it. Kids, when they're really small, toddlers, they don't harbor a grudge. They don't sit there and dwell on something for weeks or months until they feel like the person has suffered enough. They don't, uh, you know, they may bite their friend because they're angry. They may throw a temper tantrum. They may say, you're not my friend anymore, but they get over it pretty quickly. It's not until they get older that they have to learn how to harbor resentment and bitterness and give the cold shoulder and all those kind of things. If you're doing that now as an adult and as a Christian, you could not be more wrong because you're supposed to act differently. You are different. If then you have been raised with Christ, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, love, peace, be thankful, forgiving each other. Who's Paul talking to here, just as a reminder? Not pagans. Who's he talking to? Us. Yes, specifically the church in Colossae, but he's talking to us as well, right? You wouldn't think that you would have to tell Christians to be forgiving, would you? But apparently... There are some Christians who are still unforgiving. Why? Well, because we're human beings, right? And being human is difficult. 
And really, it's hard because we spend as much time in the world as we do anywhere else, right? And so it's, it's tough not to have the world influence us. It's tough because that's where we spend all of our time, right? I, I had the opportunity to speak at the Challenge Youth Conference uh, last weekend in Dallas. And one of the things that I said to, you know, there's about 500 young people there. And one of the things I said to them was that, you know, it's easy it's really easy at a youth conference to be a Christian and to, you know, but when you go out back to school, back to your own little world, that's when it gets tough, right? And it's easy for us here in this place, in this building on Sundays. What's harder is when we go out into the world and the Monday through Saturday, that's when it gets difficult. But that's where our Christianity is put into practice, right? Where we function is where we show our faith. We are different. Because we have been raised with Christ, we are a compassionate people. We are humble, we're meek, we're patient, and we're forgiven. And so therefore, we are forgiving. Forgiveness is indicative of the one who is being transformed. I said it this morning, you know, I have taken the high road at times. I have turned the other cheek, and I certainly have not done that sometimes. So before you begin applauding me. But those times where I felt like I took the high road and I did the right thing, I didn't like it too much. And I struggled with it. But every time I struggle with offering forgiveness, every time I struggle with taking the high road and turning the other cheek and all those things, I remember something that I've mentioned to you before, I believe, but something that holds true and needs to be reiterated and we need to be reminded of over and over again. And that is, I am what I despise. I am what I despise. I don't like hypocrites. I've been hypocritical. I don't like liars. Sad to say, I've lied before. I like certain things when done to me, and I've yet done those things as well. And even if you haven't engaged in any of those kind of things that I just mentioned, you have offended a holy God at some point, and probably regularly. You are what you despise. Remember that always. 1 John 4. Starting at verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Over and over again in the New Testament, you see that loving God equals loving other people. And it's, it's really sad and disheartening how many people we may have from Sunday to Sunday sitting in our churches, sitting in a pew who are harboring resentment. And how sad that is because it seems that salvation is tied to that, doesn't it? Don't say you love God and hate your brother. Don't say that you are a child of God and yet you hate the people that he loves. And John makes it pretty clear that our salvation is tied to that, right? That's pretty scary. When you think about how many people are sharing communion on Sunday morning with folks that maybe they despise and think that they're just fine doing so. 
Over and over again, we find the formula, loving God equals loving his people. And yet you cannot love God without loving his people. You cannot love God and his people without exercising forgiveness. Because if you know anything about relationships, whether it's a marriage, whether it's boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, forgiveness is paramount, right? And certainly that's true in the church in relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm sure you've seen the news by now that Kobe Bryant and his daughter were killed in a helicopter crash earlier today. And Twitter and Facebook are erupting and trending with, these, with this story and talking about you know, the impact that he has made and all these, all these sorts of things, how truly sad that it is. And what it should do for any of us is remind us how precious life is and how that when we walk out that door, it may be the last time we walk out that door. So we better hug our spouse, kiss our spouse, kiss our kids, make certain that every day we are living as we need to be living as Christians who have been raised with Christ. And before we leave here, every Sunday, we better be right with God. And you can't be right with God without being right with your fellow man. You just can't be. That's not me speaking. That's the Holy Spirit speaking through God's Word. Your ability to forgive demonstrates the genuineness of your own salvation. It demonstrates that you really comprehend what Jesus did for you on that cross. It means that you don't take for granted the fact that someone died in your stead, that someone paid the bill, that you have been plucked from the fires of hell, and yet we're going to deny forgiveness to someone like us? Your ability to forgive also demonstrates your maturity in Christ. The greatest mark of maturity in your daily walk with God is not how many times you come to church. Because there are people who come to church every week that are not right with God and not right with their fellow man. The greatest mark of maturity is not how often you read the Bible or how well you know Scripture. There are a lot of people who read the Bible daily and who know the Scriptures like the back of their hand, but they're not living them. The greatest mark of spiritual maturity is not how much money you drop in the contribution plate. Because dropping money in that contribution plate is a whole lot easier than what we're talking about tonight. The greatest mark of discipleship is how well we forgive. How well we handle this issue of forgiveness. Quite possibly the greatest mark of maturity in your Christian life is your ability to forgive because it demonstrates how much like Jesus you really are. But there are some things that we need to get straight when it comes to forgiveness. Because I think people struggle with forgiveness because they have a heart problem, but I also think that people struggle with forgiveness because they have bought into some myths. And I say myths because these are things that aren't true, but we have bought into and we believed and invested in, and it makes forgiveness that much harder. So let's dispel some of those myths. Number one, forgiveness does not always lead to reconciliation. It just doesn't. We would like for it to, and if at all possible, it should. Paul said, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men, if possible. Sometimes it's not possible. Sometimes it's just not possible. Sometimes things don't work out, you know, it takes two for there to be reconciliation. And even if you're willing, and you should be, the other person has to be willing as well. And sometimes that just doesn't happen. 
But make sure that you're not to blame in that situation. Make sure that you've done everything possible to be at peace with your fellow man. Forgiveness doesn't always mean that a relationship will automatically be restored to its original state. In some cases, it needs to be, but not always. We may forgive another, but the relationship may be permanently damaged. Forgiveness is always, hear me on this, forgiveness is always the right response. But reconciliation may not be possible. Secondly, forgiveness doesn't make you a doormat. And we need to remove that from our psyche because I think so many times we feel like that if I forgive, I've given them an okay for what they have done to me. And that's not true. Just because I have forgiven another person doesn't mean that I automatically trust them again. Trust isn't automatically restored when I forgive. Trust can be lost quickly but it's built slowly. And it may be that I forgive someone, but I can never trust them again. I think I, I told you this before, but when I was coaching, I followed a gentleman who had been uh, put in prison for having illicit relationships with some of the students. And uh, he spent 16 months in prison. And when he got out, he started coaching again. Now, if you're the parent of a daughter that was involved in one of those illicit relationships, you might be able to forgive. You gonna let her, you gonna let him coach your daughter again? Probably not, right? And in fact, it would be silly to do so. So just because you forgive doesn't mean that you trust again, doesn't mean that you even have a relationship with that person again. You're not a doormat. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you throw good judgment out the window. Some people cannot be trusted, no matter how many times they've been forgiven. Also, forgiveness doesn't overlook a wrongdoing. Luke 17 and 3 reads, If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Now, there's two imperatives here, rebuke and forgive, and they're both conditional. I may not rebuke my brother or sister for a sin that he or she did not commit, nor may I forgive him or her of a sin that they refuse to repent of. Allow me to explain. While we are to cultivate a forgiving attitude... We are not at liberty to simply dismiss someone's evil, thus freeing them from the obligation to make things right with God. So it may be that the person that has hurt you is not a Christian. While you forgive them, you shouldn't just simply let that roll off your back and not approach it with them, that they still need to go to God seeking forgiveness. Does that make sense? So when it comes to forgiveness, it's not denying that I was sinned against. It's not the denial or the dismissal of wrongdoing, because I've heard Christians say that, well, you know, they hurt me really bad, I just let it roll off my back. They, that may not be a good, good strategy. It may not be good to let it roll off your back. We can forgive the one who sins against us, but we cannot bring about the ultimate absolution of sin before God. It's important that we let a brother or sister know who has sinned against us that they have sinned in the sight of God, more importantly. And finally, this is a big one. There is no such thing as forgive and forget, okay? No such thing. I don't know why we pair those two things together. I don't know why we feel like they have to go together, but they don't. How in the world would I ever be able to forget someone breaking into my home and killing my family? I would never forget that. How would I ever forget a drunk driver crossing the center line and hitting my son or daughter while they were driving in their car and killing them. How would I ever forget that? 
I may be able to forgive the perpetrator, but how would I ever forget? It's illogical. It's unreasonable. It's silly. But for some reason, we feel like we have to pair these two things together. Now, we should forget the little things. Okay, so somebody cuts you off in traffic. Get over it, right? I know of people who will whine for two or three months about somebody who pulled out in front of them on Judge Ely. Get over it, right? Forget that and move forward. Quit wallowing like an old sow, right? But some things just cannot be forgotten, no matter how hard we try. The problem is that we read passages like Hebrews 8.12 or Psalm 103 and verse 12. Hebrews 8.12 says, For I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Psalm 103 and verse 12 reads, As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. We read verses like these, and we assume that forgiveness means remembering the sin no more, because after all, that's what God does. God forgives and forgets. The omniscient God forgets. If that's true, then we are privy to information that God has forgotten. Because we can read the Bible and we can read about things, maybe sins from people in the Bible and God's forgotten those, but we have information that he doesn't or that he has no longer recalled. That doesn't make any sense. That's obviously a contradiction, isn't it? When you think about Genesis 8.1, it says, But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the cattle that were with him in the ark, and God caused a wind to pass over the earth, and the water subsided. So an angel had to come to God and tell him, Hey, you need to turn the water off. Noah's still floating around out there. It's like, Oh, yeah, I almost forgot. So that's what that means? Of course not. You see, when you see the word remember in Scripture, remember simply means Think of or mention. When God says, I remember their sins no more, he doesn't hold them against us. He doesn't mention them. He doesn't bring them up over and over. Yeah, remember what you did, though? He doesn't recall them anymore. For God to remember our sins no more means that he doesn't mention them any longer, unlike some humans who may forgive and they go forward and they're history buffs, right? You know, a lot of history buffs in relationships. You know, you get three or four months down the road and you recall something that the person did and you bring it up again. Well, I thought you forgave me. Yeah, but I hadn't forgotten. Well, if you forgive, then you don't hold it against me any longer, right? That's what's being talked about here. They don't fracture the relationship. The, the, the sin no longer garners God's wrath. It is stricken from the record. And by that definition, I think we all need to be godly in our forgiveness. You know, I, I love the story of Joseph. You know, Joseph is someone who shows us how to beat bitterness and betrayal with the weapon of forgiveness. And I'm going to assume that you know the story of Joseph. You know, he was uh, sold into slavery by his brothers, falsely accused, thrown in prison, left there. He was finally exalted to rule over Egypt. But the most touching part in my mind uh, of Joseph's story is there's a famine in the land. And, and because Joseph is ruler over the land, his brothers come seeking to buy some grain. Joseph recognizes his brothers, but they don't recognize him because he hides his identity from them. 
You remember he puts them in prison for three days. He tells them to go back and bring the youngest brother. And on their way back, they open up their grain sacks and they find, they find money. You know, Joseph didn't take their money. He gave them grain, but he, he didn't take their money. You know, Joseph, Joseph arranges for them to live in Goshen. He's merciful to them. He forgives them of all that they had done to him. He had every right to be bitter. He had every right to turn them away. He had every right to throw them in prison or to even have them killed, but he doesn't. Instead, he beat bitterness and allowed love to win. Chapter 50, verse 18 and following. Then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for I am in God's place. Let me read that again. Do not be afraid, for I am in God's place. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Are you in God's place? Are you in a state that is pleasing to God? Sure you are. You're in Texas, right? The greatest state in the union. No, I... Are you in a state of being that makes God proud, that makes him happy? If you're harboring bitterness, bitterness and anger and clamor and wrath, you're not. Are you in God's place? Joseph found solace. He found peace in forgiveness and being in the place that God would have him be. And he reveled in it. May we do the same. As difficult as it may be, may we allow the love of God to motivate us, to bring us peace, and to cause us to be a people of forgiveness. Because if the people in the world around us can't see us, God's people, displaying forgiveness, that's truly a tragedy. Because we, of all people, should know what it means to forgive because we have been forgiven so much can we help you tonight do you have something that you need to let go of do you have some garbage in your life bitterness anger wrath clamor that you need to dispose of if so set it aside tonight are you seeking divine forgiveness and ready to take that next step in a daily walk with God? Maybe that's baptism. Maybe that's studying the Bible with someone. I don't know what it is, but take care of that tonight. Whatever your need is, David's going to lead us in a song. Why don't you come as we stand and as we sing?